You're listening to Sermons at FCC Moorhead, a podcast of sermons preached at First Christian Church in Moorhead, Kentucky. A congregation in the Christian Church Disciples of Christ tradition, we are a faith community seeking to live out Christ's call of hospitality and shalom. I'm Reverend Nancy Galler, minister at FCC, and each week we'll post the latest sermon preached from our pulpit. Most weeks you'll hear my voice, but from time to time you'll find guest preachers on this podcast too. Thanks for listening. After nearly a year of following the Gospel of Mark in our Sunday worship, we are approaching the final few weeks of readings from Mark's Gospel. In the next chapter, Jesus will enter Jerusalem on a colt with shouts of celebration. Cloaks will be thrown on the ground to welcome him. And even as the crowds swell, the plot plot will be hatched in secret. And soon he will be executed by the power of the state. And in the story that leads up to that final act in the gospel, Jesus is leaving the city of Jericho. Jericho, one of the oldest occupied cities on earth, reaching back to at least 10,000 BCE. You may remember the stories of Jericho. There's the battle of Jericho as the Hebrew people finally make it out of their years of wandering and they are entering into the promised land. It was Jericho where Hebrew spies reached out to the woman Rahab who conspires with them and aids their cause. It's Jericho with those dramatic scenes of Israelites marching around and around the city walls with trumpets blaring and people shouting until the very walls crumble and fall. Remember the old spiritual Joshua fit the battle of Jericho. It was the first city of the promised land. In the larger history of the city of Jericho, it was an important administrative center under Persian rule. Alexander the Great chose to have a private estate there. It was refortified again in the 2nd century BCE, and Mark Antony once gave the city to Cleopatra. What a romantic gift. King Herod was given rule over it, and as part of his personal building spree, he constructed a new hippodrome theater, a system of aqueducts to supply the city with water, and then built himself a winter palace there too. So we have to imagine that Jericho had become a winter playground of sorts for the ruling elite from Jerusalem. It was fashionable and wealthy. It was a place where the rich and famous went away to be in style. Jericho, it is a city of legend and a city of power. Now, Jericho is also mentioned in Luke's gospel. The road from Jerusalem to Jericho is the one that Jesus mentions in the parable of the Good Samaritan. The road on which the man was traveling was the road to Jericho when he is beaten and robbed and left on the side of the road. Mark says they came to Jericho and then immediately says, and as they were leaving, We're told nothing of their stay in the city. We're just given this story on their way out of town as they are outside the gate, outside the mighty walls. 
This story happens not in Jericho, not in that great city with its power and its money, its political connections, its social scene, its historic significance. Mark gives us no stories of Jesus working miracles on Main Street in Jericho. And now as they leave the city, Jesus and the disciples have an entourage of sorts. There's a crowd tagging along behind them. And as they're going on the road, there's a beggar sitting there on the side. Now, this is not an uncommon sight in our day or in ancient times. Perhaps he's holding up a cardboard sign, homeless, anything will help God bless. And he's got a good spot, too, with all of those rich folk from Jerusalem trafficking the road to Jericho. Mark tells us the man is blind, and he has a name, Bartimaeus. And this blind beggar on the side of the road hears the crowd coming and finds out somehow that it's Jesus who's creating the stir. And so he begins to shout out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And folks try to hush him up. I mean, look, there's no need to create a scene. You have to wonder, are they worried this beggar is going to bother the healer? Or will he slow down Jesus' traveling to Jerusalem? Perhaps they are already anticipating a showdown there, and they're anxious to get the ball rolling to encourage Jesus to claim power for himself. Regardless of their motives, any hushing that may have been done backfires on them. Every time they try to get him to be quiet, he shouts out all the louder. And you have to know that Bartimaeus shouts because in reality, no one would have seen him otherwise. Everyone's busy on the road. Their minds are elsewhere. No one ever notices a beggar on the side of the road. And if they do, they avert their eyes. They try to look busy, waiting for the light to change. Or they cross over to the other side, as the priest and the scribe do in Jesus' parable of the Good Samaritan. Beggars, you see, are to be avoided. And they're interchangeable, too. We never pay enough attention to them to tell them apart from one another. Here we are outside the city gate, in the shadows of the walls of Jericho, and someone is shouting, creating a scene. Jericho. Could it be that Mark wants us to remember Jericho? Maybe he wants us to remember that city of old when a ragtag band of wanderers marched round and round, shouting and blowing horns, and miracle of miracles, the mighty walls of Jericho crumbled. It's only because of the shouting, after all, that there's a story to tell here in Mark's gospel. It's because of the ruckus that Bartimaeus makes that the disciples and the crowds are forced to acknowledge him. But even then, they look at him and they only see a nuisance. Now, of course, a squeaky wheel gets the greasy old saying goes, it takes loud protesting activists to call attention to issues we'd rather not address. It's it takes loud folks to cause good trouble, to highlight issues of injustice, all those things that make us uncomfortable, racial injustice, economic disparities, environmental damage. If we don't acknowledge the problem, they're really not there, are they? 
They'll solve themselves. They'll go away. Someone else will drop some coins in the cup. So often we lack the ability to give attention to people and things around us. Forget about the big issues of injustice. Sometimes just in the everyday living of our lives, our focus is so much on ourselves and not on the other. Seems a common human trait sometimes, doesn't it? Not really seeing the other person in front of us. As someone stopped us in the parking lot at the grocery store as we were putting away our groceries and asked us to describe the checker, could we? Or in a restaurant, have you ever leaned over to ask your dining companions, is that our server over there? It's as if we have filters that remove their humanity. We're so absorbed in our own lives, we don't even see the flesh and blood person right in front of us. The disciples and others following after Jesus attempt to silence Bartimaeus by shushing him up. And the Greek word is more than just a librarian. It's epitomeo which is used to rebuke demons in the gospel. And it's also in that tense encounter with Peter a little earlier in Mark when Peter rebukes Jesus, shushes him for talking about his own death, and then Jesus turns around and shushes Peter back for not recognizing Jesus' true calling. Jesus observes the commotion But notice that Jesus doesn't walk over to Bartimaeus himself. That would be the easy thing to do. Instead, he says to them, go get him and bring him here. Which is rather ingenious of Jesus. He tells them, go over there and interact with that human being you were so easily dismissing just a few moments ago. Ever the teacher, isn't he? To bring him to Jesus, they must first look at Bartimaeus to see him as a human being and not simply a problem to be disposed of. And so they do. It's your lucky day. They say, get up. He's calling you to come. And at this news, the gospel says that Bartimaeus throws off his cloak, springs to his feet, and comes to Jesus. Now that's a curious little detail, isn't it? The blind man throwing off his cloak. Remember, at this point in the story, he cannot see. And yet he throws it off, which implies a confidence that he will be able to find it and get it back again. You see, as a beggar, a cloak was a critical possession. It provided coverage from the elements. It was a blanket if you were homeless, and it also provided coverage within a house as a blanket for night. A cloak was a valuable possession. It meant some measure of security or protection. And yet Bartimaeus throws it aside. What would he need with a beggar's cloak when he is about to be healed? As the cloak falls to the ground, I wonder if any of the disciples remember Jesus' words about an old cloak way back near the beginning of the gospel when he said to them, no one sews a piece of unshrunk cloth on an old cloak. Otherwise, the patch pulls away from it, the new from the old, and a worse tear is made. Or I wonder, 
I wonder if as the beggar's cloak is flung away and Bartimaeus rushes toward Jesus in hopes of healing, did any of the disciples have a flashback to that woman who reached out to touch Jesus's cloak in search of healing? In Jesus's cloak, there is power and healing, yet in Bartimaeus's cloak, we see all that he's leaving behind. His old life, his suffering, his alienation, the labels placed on him by others, beggar, outcast, blind, the harsh treatment he's experienced, the indifference of many more, the uncomfortableness of those who saw him only as a beggar to be pitied. Before Bartimaeus is healed, however, Jesus asks him a question. What can I do for you? In the Greek, it's more like, what would you will I do for you? Now, does that question sound familiar? Last week, when James and John come to Jesus hoping to negotiate a career advancement for themselves, Jesus asks them, what is it you want me to do for you? And remember their response? They want to ride shotgun. Grant us to sit one at your right and one at your left in your glory. And now, here's Bartimaeus, the ultimate outsider. He's not been privy to all the teachings of Jesus. He hasn't had any late night conversations around the fire with him. And yet the blind Bartimaeus sees. Not only who Jesus is, a son of David, a teacher, and a healer, but he sees what his own condition is. And rather than power, prestige, or influence, Bartimaeus responds, what I want is for you to have mercy on me and let me see. This is no simple healing story, even though on the surface it reads like one. This is no blueprint for those of us who desire healing in our own lives. This is an identity story. It's a faith story. It's a calling story. It's a metaphor in Mark's gospel for what it means to take up the name of Christ and follow Jesus on the way. Back in chapter 8, Jesus is approached by another blind man. In this case, the man isn't hindered by the crowds, but he's actually brought to Jesus by others. In that healing, it's an odd two-step process. You may remember that Jesus puts spittle on the man's eyes, lays hands on him, and then says, Do you see anything? To which the man replies, I see men and they look like walking trees. So Jesus lays hands on him again and it's only after that second step that the man gains perfect sight. Between that two-step healing in chapter 8 and Bartimaeus healing here in chapter 10, we are given glimpses into how little the disciples are seeing how blind they are to Jesus' calling, to his upside-down kingdom that he's inviting them into. At each turn, we see the disciples misunderstand who Jesus is. And now Jesus' story is entering the final chapter, and Mark is telling us the time for sight is now. The disciples have caught glimpses, but like that man in Bethsaida, they don't see clearly yet. Just how do you make the sighted see that they are actually 
the blind ones. In this little story of Bartimaeus, in this one act of faith, throwing off his beggar's cloak, we see that that well-worn symbol of his old life falls to the ground just outside the walls of Jericho. Do you see? The old ways won't do anymore. Our walls of separation and safety must crumble. Our old worn-out security blankets must be cast aside. To follow on the way with Jesus, we must be willing to lay aside the old ways. To be willing to let go of everything which holds us back, unlike that rich young man who had many possessions. This past week, I've had conversations with two different ministers in Kentucky about different churches who are facing the difficult decisions of what to do with their aging buildings as they face insurmountable repair costs. And you can feel the pain in these conversations. All of the shared experiences that have happened in those beloved church buildings, all of those cherished memories, the baptisms, the weddings, the baby dedications, the funerals, the communions, all of those precious and all of the sweat equity that folks have put in through the years there. The pandemic has brought into focus that the old ways aren't working in a new world. And we know in our bones that it probably wasn't working before either. But now, like that healing story of the first blind man, we're seeing, if perhaps a bit unclearly, that something new is being born. And we're being invited to imagine our buildings and our grounds as a gift, not just for Sunday mornings, but for the neighborhood throughout the week. How can this amazing space be a place of healing in our neighborhood, not only for us, but for those who live down the street, for those who work in our neighborhood, for those who drive by here every day. The questions for us are open if we can only throw off our old cloak and follow Jesus. Change is coming. Salvation is drawing near, and Mark confronts us with the question, will we unburden ourselves so we can see it? Or will we be like that rich man, walking away grieving because we are burdened down by our many possessions, by memories of the past, both rich and full, but which are no longer life-giving? In Mark's gospel, this is not the last cloak to fall. Soon cloaks and garments will be thrown down on another road just outside the walls of another powerful city. And there Jesus will be leading the way yet again, shaking the walls of power and ushering God's realm of shalom, a realm of mercy and compassion made up of all those outcasts and rejects, made up of the poor and the rich, the lowly and the settled. And Mark wants us to ask ourselves, what vestiges of our past do we need to drop on the roadside? What symbols of our own identities do we need to cast aside so that we can follow Jesus? Having heard this story, may we, like Bartimaeus, see Jesus 
for who he is and what he is calling us to be. And may we join Bartimaeus in prayer saying, Lord, have mercy. We want to see. Thanks for listening. We hope you found inspiration today. To learn more about our congregation, you can like us on Facebook or follow us on Instagram and Twitter. Until next time, be well, be kind, and always be the church where you are.